Hey, this is Carl Pauli, and you're listening to the Airborne Mind Show. Welcome to the Airborne Mind Show. I am your host, Ms. Bahawk, and in these conversations, I like to explore what mental frameworks drive people to do what they do. I have strong feelings about talking to people who are deeply entrenched in and passionate about their work. I've always been drawn to ideas, art, and people that have a perspective that I can learn from. And so along the way, we're going to share and explore ideas that leave you with more context. You'll pick up things that might be educational, empowering, inspirational, or simply entertaining. And because you're listening, I have a free gift only for podcast listeners that you can grab if you head over to MizHQ.com. Again, that's M-I-Z-H-Q.com. Today, my guest is Carl Powley. I had such a fun time with this conversation because I've resonated with the lens that Carl views movement and expression through for such a long time. So to get to finally, you know, get inside his brain and, and talk about some of the things that he's excited about and are important to him, uh, it, it was uh, it was an honor. And so we dig into things like movement, expression, break dancing. You know, Carl is somebody who uh, really sent me down that rabbit hole uh, by this video that he put out, and I remember that's kind of what sparked it for me. And so I wanted to know what what was his first time like and how did he get into it? Um, so we dig into that. We talk about uh, money. We talk about business. We talk about why the ability to, uh, you know, feel and, and level up by feeling is an art and a skill. And so I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. More importantly, hope you do something with it. Carl, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I and I was just telling you how um, how big this is for me because not only have I just kind of been watching you over the years and and I admire your work within uh, movement and fitness, but I also really have um, gotten to enjoy your perspective on just you as a human and how you are and some of your thought processes like I watch your you know stories that you post on Instagram and some of the things that you've been talking about with the be proud project um, so all of that together makes this really exciting for me and what I would love to kick off with is just asking you you know a lot has changed over the last several years how are you spending your time and energy these days what's kind of exciting you at the moment yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'm traveling more than ever, so I spend a lot of time traveling. And, uh, you know, as you were speaking right now and kind of getting into this question, I had this surreal moment at, at right now, actually, uh, where you you were expressing some sort of admiration for my work or anything that I've done. And I realized when I was probably 14, 15 this is what I was dreaming of. You know, I was dreaming of uh, being recognized for my work. And back then it was gymnastics. And as you were saying this, I, I, I just realized again that I was so 
I was so mistaken <laughs> in terms of what I what I was really craving. Uh, it, it was never the admiration of anyone, but rather uh, this sense of uh, reassurance that the thing that's in your heart, that's in your mind, is is valuable. And if you simply share it, it may be able to make a positive uh, impact in, in someone in some regard. And just to be able to think about that right now is is very powerful. And in terms of trying to answer your question where I spend most of my time, it is traveling and it's traveling to be able to speak to people like yourself. And you happen to be really close. We're, we're 30 minutes away from each other at the moment, but we're, we're speaking over Skype, <laughs> 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 which is kind of funny. But um, um, I travel to be able to continue doing this, which is having a conversation, which hopefully can uh, help us ask some questions that will lead to uh, finding clarity uh, when it comes to physical expression and movement or simply a thought process and maybe dealing with some emotions and uh, try to crystallize uh, what thoughts are coming into our, our our head at any given point of time and then how we can use those to uh, translate them into action. And that's where I spend most of my time and uh, trying to have these conversations. I love that. And there's so much within what you said that we're going to kind of dive into and we might jump around a little bit. So I apologize for that in advance. But first, I want to get your thoughts on I've heard you talk about this concept of for what, right? Like traveling for what? Why do I do that? Strike movement. Uh, you know, it's a shoe company for what? Right. And I'm curious to know when you when on this journey to answering that question and asking yourself that question of for what, why am I doing X and why am I doing Y? What did that process look like? Was there, was that an, you know, an overnight thing that you kind of thought about and, and you came to a conclusion or how, how long, if you were to draw that out for us, um, maybe step by step, what, how does somebody begin to go down that rabbit hole of, you know, for what? How, why am I doing this? How can I bring some clarity to the things that I'm choosing to spend my time and energy on? Mm -hmm. You know, as as you're speaking about it, I kind of could tell where you were going with the question. And it's a great question. Um, and I think it goes back to maybe when I was nine years old. And I was doing gymnastics at the time. And I uh, was eager to be really good at it. And all of a sudden, I was faced uh, with having to do some things that were uh, kind of dangerous <laughs> and uh, extremely scary. And I remember uh, hearing my coach saying, hey, next day when you come in, uh, we're going to do this thing on the high bar. Uh, and I was like, oh, no, I, I, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm not ready yet. I, I, I'm scared of that. And I remember being at home freaking out about going to the gym the next day because I was scared of doing this new move. Uh, and I thought to myself then, I mean, for what, for what, why, why do I need to do this thing? Why, what am I doing this thing for? And, uh, of course there, of course there was a multitude of things going on, uh, that I was scared of, but there were even more things that I wanted to, 
uh, achieve by going through that process. And of course I was nine years old, so I couldn't process this thing. And, uh, this experience, although I got through it, kept on showing up again and again and over again until I was maybe 16, 17. And now I was kind of, uh, going through a lot of injuries. I was feeling pain. I was, uh, you know, I was, I was paying the price for being, an elite gymnast, <laughs> so to speak. And I would ask myself all the time, I was sitting there just hurting and saying, for what? You know, for what all this struggle? But somehow I continued doing it until I got to a breaking point where uh, I was more drawn to venturing away from gymnastics than staying in, inside of gymnastics. And I guess that was my first, I was 18 at the time, that was my first uh, time facing reality in a way where I was the one calling the shots. It was not my parents saying, hey, you need to stay in gymnastics. It was not my coaches. It was not my teammates. It, I was calling the shots. And uh, I left gymnastics and that was really a really hard time. Uh, and I, I went into college and studied environmental science and started doing the whole Olympic dream over again, but, but through university. And I questioned myself again, over and over again, for what, for what, for what? But there was always behind this question of for what uh, was this just burning desi desire to uh, be something, be someone do something special, make an impact, just feel like I'm in, in that excitement. And none of this fully made sense until I became a parent. Uh, my wife and I, we, we became foster parents and eventually ended up adopting a beautiful girl uh, who happened to be a teenager. And when I was faced with the most <laughs> uh, multi-layered, complex problem uh, <laughs> of my life, I realized that for what was such a powerful question because it gave you objective feedback on what problem am I trying to solve right now and what is the outcome that I'm hoping for. It, it become, became really objective and all of a sudden, uh, what that did was it simply allowed me to feel what I needed to feel, experience whatever I was feeling, and ride that, like I'm surfing that as a wave uh, through this tangible uh, thing, which is trying to solve the problem with a certain outcome, and really separating what you can control versus what you can't control. So this is a very... Uh, a roundabout way of basically saying that everything that I do in my life is simply an excuse to be able to ride that wave of the excitement, the fire, the, the, the burning desire to do something and do that in a way that um, allows people around me to participate in some way uh, where they have some clarity and they can grow some roots into 
whatever it is that my my intent is, whether it's selling shoes through strike movement or uh, coaching gymnastics or CrossFit or whatever it is that I, I may coach or simply having these conversations and recording a podcast with you. Uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of what the for what is, which just to add to it, um, in my mind, it adds this objective lens to our actions uh, rather than an, uh, a more subjective lens that the question why may may bring. Interesting. So, I mean, this for sure took you took me back all the way to when you were, you know, uh, you know, in university and, and all the way to now, it's taken some time for you to like put these pieces together and, and probably revisiting it over and over. It never just was kind of like a one and done. This is, this is my, for what, this is why I do this. Right. Yeah. I mean, even just 20 minutes ago, I was out walking my dog and, uh, I was thinking, Oh my goodness, life is just so weird. You know, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. What, what what am I doing with my life? But but then you know you you realize what I'm really here for uh, is to become a proactive participant on this thing we call life, and in the process of doing that, uh, engaging with people in a way that maybe in the moment that I engage with them, they find some clarity. And they feel compelled to want to act on whatever they're feeling in that moment in a way that they can become proactive participants of their own life, whether we see the world the same or, or uh, different. That's exactly uh, what may, drove me to start this podcast when I did. I thought about it as like sparking curiosity within people. And when you're curious, or at least I thought when I was curious, it would lead me down a rabbit hole of something. You know, like I reached out to you asking about b-boying and – you know, you sparked my curiosity with that video that you posted, right? Of like the sixth step. And I was like looking at it, trying, I'm like, whoa, this is, it does, I do not look like how you do when I was doing it. And I'm like, I need some instruction. And so that led me to going and taking some classes. And that led to like a host of other things, right? And a lot of learning that came from it. So it's like these chain of events that are kind of able to happen uh, through something like that, right? As little as being able to spark some curiosity within people. 100%, 100%. And the fact that I have any kind of ability to do that, that means two things. One, it's that I'm succeeding at the thing that I set out to do. And two, that every single person out there can do the same. Mm. Because I'm just a dude trying to figure it out. And if I'm just a dude trying to figure it out, then you can do the same thing. That's cool. <laughs> That is very cool. Um, and I, I'm trying, like, I want to now kind of uh, dive into the movement aspect of things because f just from, I don't know, the way that you talk about movement, the way that you, um, I've heard you, you know, just express your feelings about it, it it's a little different than, um, like, this is how you do a push-up, this is how you do a handstand push-up, these are the cues you need to keep in mind. It's like, it goes beyond that a little bit. And and to me, um, I think this is like a couple months ago, I thought of this thing where I was like, 
Movement is a vehicle to authentic expression, only if we pay attention to the details. And at the time, it was just like this quick thing that came to me. I'm like, huh, that sounds really cool. But for some reason, it really stuck with me. And when I thought about something like jiu-jitsu, or I thought about something like b-boying, or CrossFit, or any discipline, really, I was like, these, you know, when people are training, and they're working out, and there's that moment after the workout or sometime during where they feel really good. It's like they are super authentic in that moment. They're able to express themselves in this interesting way. Um, so I, I'm curious to hear your perspective on this. When you think about movement and you think about expression, what what's the connection like between the two for you? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I, for me, it's all about feeling. So I, what, when I move, I, I feel a lot. And I believe a lot of people do, but there's something that happens to most people that makes them ignore whatever they're feeling. So I'm constantly chasing an expression that feels right. And that, that expression that feels right is not always comfortable but it's something that I intuitively uh, I'm aware of and I've, I've always had. And it became possible for me to become really aware of that thanks to gymnastics, which was a stickler on the details. Mm. Like you said, it's the, the execution, the way the execute matters. Uh, because if you want to make it to the Olympics, if you want to make it to the top of the podium, you need to do certain things a certain way. And if you don't do it that way, you're not playing the same game as everyone else. So mm. in order for you to participate, you need to execute in this way. As I grew older, of course, I realized that the the way that one executed in gymnastics was a product of, I categorize it in three different things. Number one, a biomechanical advantage, which simply means uh, that our body moves in the most effective, efficient way possible to be able to uh, withstand all kinds of uh, outside stressors and set themselves up, set itself up for uh, a better adaptation, a better evolution. So that's number one. Number two is uh, by comparison, matching the games of a sport, uh, sorry, matching the rules of a game or a sport and in gymnastics, for example, there are certain rules. Uh, in order to hit a handstand, you have to have your feet in a certain position, hips in a certain position, shoulders in a certain position, uh, and you play by those rules. So all of a sudden, you have two things that are, are driving the execution, which is your biomechanical uh, setup and architecture and the rules of the game or the sport. And then in addition, there is uh, the aesthetic component, which is uh, does it look beautiful uh, and if it does, then you're trending in the right direction. The beauty of this is that as as we go on and we start thinking about progression in terms of movement and feeling, if the way you move doesn't match the rules of a game uh, or a sport that is known, you're creating a new new one, a new method, a new style. So that that part of movement is all about the 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 details and. Uh, you you can only understand that if you're willing to go down that that rabbit hole, um, and I think that's one of those really cool things uh, about about movement is that it doesn't matter what 
method of movement or practice you have, if you simply become a participant in it, you're going to end up in the same place uh, that I've ended up and everyone else who actually cares ends up. I love how you touched on feeling because, uh, like you mentioned, you might be hyper aware to it because you had gymnastics where it was so uh, focused on that. And maybe a swimmer or a dancer might have that same intuitive sense. And then for others, it might be something that needs to be consciously developed a little bit. But I, I always thought of it in this context of like, okay, let's say you're doing a seated, uh, you know, dual dumbbell press, right? And if there's a difference between you doing the seated press and then you being able to like consciously, okay, rib cage down, I'm pushing through my shoulder blade and like I'm breathing properly. I, I feel that if you went from the dual seated to a single arm press or single arm Arnold press or a kettlebell press, like if you paid attention to the details, the transfer is a little more seamless. Like you understand, even though there's this new object or there's this new variation, oh, I know how to like move my body around this thing, right? Um, so when you when you talk about feeling, is that – maybe that's not the only thing you're referring to, but is that kind of uh, – on the right track of what you were mentioning? For sure, for sure. That's 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 a, a big part of it. I think uh, most individuals, and uh, I imagine this is, this is the case simply from my experience, is that most individuals only feel uh, pain, where it's like, oh, that hurts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or they feel on the opposite side of the spectrum, some sort of resistance. Like they, they can't reach the level of performance that they want. And it's almost like this black hole. It just disappears. You, you just get sucked into this thing. You're like, what happened? I don't know. <laughs> and and they, they live at, at, at the ends of that spectrum. When, when it comes to feeling, uh, it's being able to acknowledge what comes before pain and what comes before the end of your understanding of what your body is really doing. And uh, be able to work with that. For example, if you feel pain, one of the most uh, simple coaching cues that I that I use is move away from pain. Hmm. It's very simple. If you feel pain, move away from pain. If someone goes to punch you, don't move into the punch. You know, <laughs> move away from the punch. Yeah. Now, if you know anything about uh, that kind of interaction, as you are defending yourself, you're actually setting yourself up for the offense. You're selling, setting yourself up for the next move. Uh, that's more of an advanced thinking, but that's something that you start realize when once you start moving away from pain. Hmm. The, the beauty of moving away from pain is that if uh, your ability to feel uh, the way you move, your body operates, um, you will very rapidly run into uh, a feeling of discomfort, which is very close to that black hole, that, that area of, of your, your physical practice where you have no awareness. And what ends up happening is that a lot of people meet that resistance and they feel like they have to not just match the resistance, but surpass it. So they just muscle through, basically. And as they muscle through, they get out on the other end and they, they feel like they successfully achieved the, the thing <laughs> that they set out to do. And in reality, they missed the whole point. So what 
I suggest uh, when one is thinking about the feeling is to not muscle through things, not to try to kind of uh, force yourself through this movement, but rather if you meet resistance, gently lean into it and just experience what it's like at the edges. And if if at the edges you feel like it pushes you away, allow it to do that. Let Let it push you away and then come back and revisit it. And the more you dance with this discomfort where you're living at the edge of that resistance, you start becoming really aware of what good movement, if that's even a thing, is in terms of how you're measuring it biologically, phys- uh, physiologically. And, um, and it's a really powerful tool. And it's almost like a, it's almost like a meditation. And for some listeners, this may sound really crazy right now, but I, I, I assume that if uh, you have a physical practice, you probably experience pain or a place where you're doing something new that is foreign and you kind of just muscle through it, but somehow it just doesn't feel satisfying enough or you feel mm. like there's something missing. That is what we're looking for. That reminds me of something like, um, you know, feeling within the context of like a squat snatch, right? So being able to nail a squat snatch perfectly where it just feels like, whoa, I just pulled myself under perfectly. I'm able to sit here forever. Like everything's locked in versus, oh, maybe I PR'd, but that felt really clunky and I just kind of muscled through it. Like I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of on that boat of, I would just like to feel the feeling of nailing it perfectly. Similarly with something maybe like a muscle up, right? That's could be something, um, comparable to that, but then also something like breakdancing, like being able to do some top rock and being able to like, let your body be loose and just kind of flow through it. Um, I feel like feeling also goes, you know, beyond the, uh, you know, capacity and, and strength measurements and these different ways that we, you know, test performance and feeling is just in this category of something that I feel like gets pushed away a little bit. It's not, um, it's not valued as much as the other markers. Yeah, because it's, uh, it's so subjective and Mm. everyone feels things differently. So, uh, that's the individualized experience which is when it comes to, if you think about medicine, if you think about anything that is scientific, <laughs> the individualized prescription is everything. Yeah. Uh, and if we don't have the ability to measure through feel, then we're never going to be able to fully optimize the numbers. Mm. And I think that's where one of the quotes that I always use that uh, – I, I use that every seminar I teach is human performance is measured by feel. Hmm. If it feels right in your head and in your heart and your gut, then you're trending in the right direction. The numbers will follow if you're open to allowing them to follow. And this is where we live in this paradox of, okay, do what feels good. Do what feels right. Just because it feels right, though, doesn't mean that your execution can't be optimized. Mm. What that means is that if you have, for example, a coach that is teaching you how to snatch, the coach has some information on the technical execution of a movement that is not a product of 
their experience only, but the experience of a very big pool of participants that have tried to pick up a weight from the ground to overhead in a very seam, seamless movement called the snatch and have ended up uh, with these very um, universal principles that define the snatch. Now, our goal is to get you to feel as great as you can feel as you're executing mechanically, technically uh, aligned with, with, that, with that movement itself. And I think that is where, you know, the artistry of, of learning how to move comes in, especially when you're a student of movement and working with someone who has the experience. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a constant dance between the numbers and the feeling. And as you said, if we push the feeling away, we can't bring that artistry out. Yeah. I mean, speaking of dance and feeling, uh, I want to circle back to b-boying a little bit because that was something that you posted you know a video of you doing the six step and you mentioned how okay if you learn this one part you've you've uh you've unlocked access to just a wide variety of uh capabilities within b-boying and that to me was really intriguing because around the same time i was also looking into a lot of what ido portal was doing and i just loved watching him flow Right. Like in, you know, whatever videos he was recording, just so um, graceful, so gentle, being able to move between all these different patterns. And when I looked into him, I was like, OK, like there's a lot that goes into that. There's some animal flow. There's some capoeira. There's some breakdancing and all these other things that he's learned from that allows him to be able to move this way. So that's what initially drew me to the b-boying when I got to class. Oh my gosh, I've never experienced something like this because I literally, we were in the warm up, you know, and D-Rock's awesome. He, he was totally like working with me and, um, you know, kind of taking his time with me and showing me all the little nuances because I have no prior dance experience. And I, I, I see myself who can move, you know, average, like I can move my body around different things in the gym, but it's very, it, it can be mechanical, right? Like doing things that we do in the gym. It's so like, there's technique, there's form, there's these ways to do things. And then now I was into the setting where it's like, just relax, like try to loosen up your body a little bit. And that to me was, I just, it took me weeks and weeks to get beyond that point of like, and I'm still working on that where I'm not fully loose yet and able to kind of just flow through the whole sequence, right? It's still kind of a work in progress. But that discipline and that art to me was so um, eye opening because there are these principles where DRock explained like, okay, you know, you doing this like, you know, on top rock, like the kick sidestep, right? There's a hundred different ways once you learn that basic concept of, okay, kick, sidestep, there's a hundred different ways that you can execute that and it will look completely different depending on the style of each person. So there's so much like creativity and art mixed with these basic mechanical principles of movement. So that really engaged me right there. And then now that, that makes me think like, what was your first exposure to b-boying and tell me just you know what how did that affect you and how did it kind of maybe open up your eyes or what was your learning from that yeah that's 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 a great question and how cool is it that you got to experience that um for me i i ran into b-boying when i was maybe 12 or 13 and 
the the b-boying that i was experiencing was all power moves so it was all the acrobatic stuff and mm. i thought oh wow break dancing is that you break yourself yeah. <laughs> and i thought i thought it was all about the power moves but then fast forward uh 12 years i was uh, working at a place called acro sports where you took your class and and one of the guys that was teaching classes there uh, went by the name of B-Boy Wicket. Uh, he's actually a legend in, in B-Boying. And I had no clue who he was. Uh, I was just helping him fill out his time card. You know? yeah. <laughs> and we kind of we became friends. And, and one day he said, uh, uh, is there any chance you would like to come to Korea and check out this b-boy event i'm going to i'm going to this big battle and i was like sounds kind of fun i had known nothing about it but i'll go to korea and don't ask me why but i went <laughs> i was so curious i went and i had no clue what i was in for and when we arrived um the 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 crew that he he was with uh, called the renegade rockers they uh, were representing the U.S. at this big international uh, b-boy battle. And I remember they had to do this showcase uh, to introduce themselves. And this was on day one. And when b-boy Wicket went out, people went nuts, first and foremost. And then as he was doing his thing, I realized this guy's not doing any power moves at all. And his set was probably 40 seconds. Within that 40 seconds, I realized, oh, shit, this guy is dancing. It's just that he's dancing in a way that I've never seen before. And it was it was like it was fire. It was just yeah. fire. And so I spent four days in Korea witnessing this over and over and over again, this dance and this music and this culture and hip hop. When I came back to the US, I, I told Wicked, I said, you need to teach me this thing. I, I need to get into it, but I'm, I'm extremely nervous because I can't dance. I don't, I, I don't know how to dance. I, don't, I have no training. He's like, don't worry, there, there are steps to this thing. It's, it's totally mechanical. Uh, and then you can bring the flavor later. And I was like, cool. So we did a session, and we probably hung out for three hours. And all I was doing for the first 45 minutes was listening to music. Hmm. And he was explaining to me uh, the different layers, the composition of music, where you're dancing, to what you're dancing, how you can go from one level of the song to another level, how you can dance to the different instruments, what the bass is, and how you have to stick to the bass. If you can do that, you're, you're in the pocket and you can uh, guarantee success. It's the ones that can go full ranges that are the ones that are, are uh, loose, as you were saying, and, and, and get it. Uh, but he was giving me the foundation and then he, he taught me some steps and he made sure that I had the basic top rock, which is, um, where you're standing and then the basic footwork where you're on the ground and then some basic power that I could do through gymnastics, which is more of the acrobatic thing. And then the freezes, which are the accents and these static positions that you hit to, to make a mark. And after three hours with him, I, I left, I was exhausted. Of course I got in my car. 
and I turned on the radio and it was some pop song, okay, that, that came up. But as the music was playing, I felt like I was hearing the music in 3D. It was, I, I, could, I, could, I could feel, hear, color, uh, movement, the whole thing. It was, it was the most surreal experience ever. And that's when I realized, okay, this b-boying thing is such a complete expression of human movement uh, that I have no clue what it even means coming from such a mechanical background that is gymnastics that I need to become a student of this. And um, I just kind of dove in. And still to this day, I'm terrified even thinking about b-boying. But it has so much... um, culture when it comes to understanding movement in a way that is modern and this this is kind of the the difference between what maybe i'm doing or the b-boy community is doing versus someone like ito portal is doing um uh ito portal is a purist when it comes to movement and he's trying to explore the most pure expressions um in my opinion what what i see is that and this is where I can't relate to someone like Ido is that uh, he's a traditionalist and there's this old school mentality that runs the culture and the practice, which I appreciate so much because without that, we wouldn't be where we are. But there's something that's missing, which is the modern approach. And the modern approach is the approach where technology um uh, new ways of listening to music, new ways of moving, clothing, uh, the the urban environments. This is something that is essential to how the current human being moves and behaves. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to make sure that we uh, shed some light on and, and bring into the mix. And, and and b-boying happens to to have that and free running is another one of those and then skiing and snowboarding and all the new sports that you're seeing at the winter olympics these are the sports the freestyle sports that are part of the modern mover and this is what i really want to highlight and uh that was what b-boying did for me and what i've experienced through it i i I love hearing your your kind of analysis on the music aspect of things because that was that's something still I haven't um like I love listening to music but when I try to do both together where it's like doing the b-boying and then also trying to match up to the music I haven't gotten that far yet and and I know it's been highlighted to me how important it is and that's kind of my next step is trying to really listen and time some of my movement instead of it just being okay step one step two step three step four and you're right that's like where the 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 art and the creativity and um just the real expression kind of comes is when you have a blend of those two things um so so one i i love that i was introduced to b-boying and i got to get some flavor you know through that um then I also thought, similar to what you're saying, is like, oh, I want to shed light on this, like this style of just how they view movement, how that community views movement. And I thought I'm like, 
Well, even me, when I saw you doing the six step or I saw, you know, Stance Elements posting all these cool videos of uh, everybody just like crushing it, you know, crushing their sets. I was like, wow, that is really cool. But I can't do that. You know, I was like, where do you even begin? Where do you start? And I know there's probably a ton of like tutorials and things like that online, which even I tried to kind of follow step by step and things like that. But the other aspect of what I saw going on within movement with b-boying and then what I saw with like animal flow and with um, even I think your video where you were doing the six step but it was a little bit slowed down it was like okay let's just explore this what is it like to be on one you know my toes instead of fully you know flat-footed in the squat position and then my one leg out in front of me and now kind of finding my balancing or my center point like I found that aspect really interesting and that's kind of what led me to the animal flow was like okay this is kind of something that you can build upon and maybe maybe even intersect between the two of like a little bit of b-boying here put that flavor with animal flow and see like what comes of that um and that got me thinking of like okay this is like like you said this is like a physical practice right um so one i guess i want to start by asking you like for physical practice what does it look like for you nowadays? You know, like I feel like there's, um, and I've experienced this too, where it's like, okay, we can get so caught up in like train, 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 train. Everything is just prescribed and I have my workouts to do. And before you know it, it's like, oh, I'm in the gym six days a week or five days a week and I've got everything prescribed for me. And you start to ask that question, like for what, you know? And I've started to think like, wouldn't it be cool? And I saw somebody on Instagram, I think his handles primal movers. He posted this concept or this idea of, um, gym exploration days. So like two days out of the week are just his days to like flow and play with different things and just explore movement. Like he was on the ground with a heavy sandbag, just like crawling around and who knows, maybe on another day that could be b-boying or animal flow. But that's how I started to envision like how, how cool would it be if people started to have a physical, like a movement practice where it was a little bit more free flowing mixed with some of the structure that we do already have within the fitness community. Like that to me feels really cool. And like, there's a lot of learning opportunity there. So I know I just said a lot there, but I mean, I kind of want to get your thoughts on that is like, okay, now looking at b-boying, looking at animal flow and these different ways to move, how do we translate that into a way that uh, maybe we can adopt a physical practice? And then maybe also hearing about yours and what that looks like. Yeah, for sure. I think what you're saying is is awesome. Uh, and I think that's something that I, I would encourage people to do for sure. For me, um, I've gone through phases where I've been the pure athlete I've been the athlete that has been a total follower of a, of a method. I've been the coach on the other side and then trying to bridge the gap where now there's, there's two different lanes almost that I'm, I'm navigating. One is the coach teacher speaker where it's very much just talking about the principle of it mm-hmm. to, to, spark the curiosity in people to be the catalyst for people uh, to begin what you just said, which is uh, how do I create a physical practice that I enjoy? Yeah. And I think that's important. Uh, And then the other lane is um, my 
physical practice itself. And at the moment, what I've noticed is that I'm so internalized that uh, I've had to almost force myself to have a physical practice. Mm -hmm. Because I can just sit all day and just sit here and think and go very deep. (laughs) But But I have to have a physical practice. So Uh, Right now, my physical practice consists in going to a CrossFit gym where I take classes. I'm a regular member there. I have uh, no say as a a coach or teacher. Uh, No one knows who I am. They don't know what I do. And within that movement practice, uh, I personally have an interest in pursuing uh, what CrossFit may define as intensity and uh, the different movement patterns that they showcase. That being said, my goal is to always feel like um, I'm making things look as beautiful as they can look. Mm. And uh, when people look over, I, I want them to have to do a double take and be like, whoa, What's going on over there? He, yeah. That that guy's doing CrossFit, but his expression of CrossFit, there's something about it that I'm very attracted to. Um, so I'm very much uh, pursuing the artistry of the expression of CrossFit. Um, and within it, uh, scaling the, the movements in a way where I can either scale up or scale down with the intent of discovering something about myself. Uh, Because I've realized that within the practice of CrossFit, for me, it's really easy to hide. Mm. I I can hide all my weaknesses. If people think that I have the ability to do certain things and because I can do certain things, I must have uh, certain fundamentals dialed. And the truth is I don't. So I force myself in a way. I consciously uh, pursue the, a scale that exposes those things that uh, I know I need to work on. And that's what my physical practice looks right now. It's uh, very short. It's just a one hour a day. But um, as, as time is going on here, I'm, I'm starting to find a little bit of that uh, excitement again of wanting to integrate breakdancing into the mix. I'm, uh, on Tuesdays, I, I go visit my friend Daryl Stingley, who's a professional free runner, and he's been teaching me some stuff. And uh, I'm excited to express myself that way again. And, and I'm curious about going back to the mountain and starting to snowboard and ski again and these these things are starting to arise uh, at the moment. So it's uh, that's what my physical practice looks like. But the focus is always to expose um, whatever it needs to be exposed mm-hmm. and and to create uh, a practice where I can't hide. I love that. Um, I want to kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about strike movement. So mm. I'm wearing, you know, I rock your... Uh, I can't remember the name now, but it's the gray chill shoe. pill mids. Chill pill mids. That's it. And I, I've gotten so many compliments on them. It's it's unreal. And still to this day, after months and months of wearing them, like my original intent was, okay, this is a cool shoe that I can use and be boying, and then I can also do my strength and conditioning within the gym with this as well. And that's what I've done so far, and I've definitely worn them pretty heavily within the gym, and it's just like an everyday 
shoe, you know, uh, like going out to dinner or lunch or whatever. It's like a nice looking shoe. Uh, anyways, that's a bit of a tangent. But what this brings me to is I... I don't know, you're a very um, self-aware and, and mindful uh, person, I think. And I'm curious, what has that, maybe it's not a switch, um, but maybe it's this um, more thought that's going into the business side of things, right? Um, mm -hmm. what, what has that transition or that, um, that change kind of been like for you? Has it been very seamless and you were able to like get super excited about the business aspect of things and, and, and dive in? Or has, has it been a bit of a challenge? And if so, just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think I think we have to preface this with a couple of things. First thing is when I was 15, 16, I was very aware that what you wore, the things that you wore were like your um it was kind of like your your armor. It was it was your battle gear, you know? It's like in gymnastics, you wanted everything to look crisp. Mm. You want it to look clean. You want it to look a certain way because aesthetics is a huge piece of the expression of a gymnast. So I always thought to myself how cool it would be to have uh, a clothing brand. And I, and I tried to start several and I, I completely failed. And then uh, I tried to create some equipment and that, that failed as well. It was, it was just a shit show. But eventually when I, I got into coaching – uh, and in CrossFit, Reebok came around and, and they started, of course, buying up everyone. I, I, got, I got scooped into the mix and uh, I got to see how a big company worked, such as Reebok, and how they would produce their, their shoes and their clothes and how they operated. And I was there for three years and I learned a ton. Unfortunately, I was just a number. And during... Uh, uh, the CrossFit Games of 2013, I was working on this media project. I was doing a behind-the-scenes uh, video. Uh, I got to interview this guy. Uh, his name is Mark Morissette, and he's the original founder of Strike Movement. Mm -hmm. And he was one of the first pro snowboarders to ever live. <laughs> so wow. he, was, he was like original, okay? And uh, he had started Strike Movement. Uh, they had just released the shoe, the interval. When I first saw it, I was like, "Hell, oh, here, look at these guys. Another shoe, another attempt of you know trying to make it happen. And he was nice enough, and he, he sent me this shoe. And uh, I, I put it on one day, and I was like, oh, yeah, that was pretty comfortable. And then I, I started wearing it uh, more and more. And, and then I realized that I would bring it with me on – these work trips and right after I finished the seminar, I would take my Reeboks off and I would put my strikes on. And then I realized I was on the plane and people were like, dude, cool shoes. What are those? And they started complimenting me. And that's when I realized, wait a second, I really like these shoes and there's something here that's very interesting. And that's when I made the shift where I, I left Reebok and I became part of the investment uh, team uh, for strike movement. And I also came in as an ambassador, and uh, uh, I just became heavily involved in, in the whole process. And I wanted to learn everything from start to finish, and uh, it, it was just exciting. And now, uh, as we're growing, and we're growing, we're growing uh, at the right pace, and uh, it's exciting, and all these things, we're all realizing that 
we're not necessarily in the business of just selling shoes. It's, it, and I thought about it this morning. I said, if, if I had to sell shoes for the rest of my life, I, I would want to shoot myself. <laughs> just let's make it end now. That, that's not what we're in the business for. We like shoes. We're we trying to produce the best shoe we can. We're trying to make it versatile. But what it's really about is about the experience. And it's what this um, brand and this company and these people and this product uh, allows you to do when there are more people involved. And it's just an exciting group of people and company that uh, we, we sell shoes so you can get to experience the, the value that, that we bring uh, collectively in terms of our philosophy. And at the same time, you have a tool that allows you to perform at a higher level and uh, sparks a curiosity in you that wants to know more. And uh, all of a sudden, you start peeling back the layers and you get to meet these people and realize that... Um, they're just out there trying to do something that feels right. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that's cool. And that, that's, that's why I'm with strike movement. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's it. What you just said there is like, they just want to do something that feels right. And I, I don't want to just, uh, limit this to strike movement because I see, you know, what you're doing with the seminars that you're teaching, the freestyle book that you wrote. Um, really just everything that you're involved in right now, um, I see that as art, right? You're creating something that wasn't there before. Uh, you don't, you know, it's like you don't know 100% for sure that it's going to work. It's like a risk that you're taking, putting out there, and you want to share it with people, and it feels right to you. So I see that as an art, and there's this, uh, you know, you care about all of these different things that are going on deeply. Now I think about the other end of it, which is like, okay, the more of the, maybe it's business principles and just like things that you need to be able to make that art flourish. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it seems like with strike movement, you had this opportunity where it was like everything you, you dove into it, you know, head first and you were very excited about it and you were able to soak up everything that you possibly can. But I'm curious just from, uh, you know, your perspective and experience now, when you think about this art that you're creating in whatever medium it might be in, and then the balance that you may have to have within just, I don't know, business principles or ways to make that art flourish. Is there any, um, any advice that comes to mind for you or any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. For sure. The the first thing is that business is extremely important to to be a student of. The reason is because business is the language um, in which we communicate when it comes to organizational structures. And we need to be able to communicate at that level because organizations are the the higher level mechanical vehicle that we use to be able to multiply an idea, multiply a thought, uh, see what kind of impact it can actually make within our lifetime. It's an accelerator. And we also have to be extremely mindful of this because within business, if we know that it's an accelerator, it is very easy to um, make the wrong move and and create a, a chain of events that is... Uh, maybe not having the positive outcome 
that you were originally intended to have. So you need mm-hmm. to become a student of this game, and this is a language that we all need to speak. The other thing is when it comes to uh, business, understanding money is important. Uh, I am good at making money. I can make money. The, the problem was when I was making a lot of money <laughs> a couple of years ago, I realized that the money just didn't feel good to me. It felt good to have money because I felt like I was free and I could do stuff with the money. But the way that the money was um, shared and exchanged didn't feel – it felt empty. Mm. It didn't feel complete. And there, I had this business partner back then who would basically say, you know, if you don't like, if you don't like it, don't look at it. And number two, he would say, a dollar's a dollar. And the truth is, a dollar's not a dollar. A dollar here in California is worth completely uh, something different in in in, uh, in Kansas. Right. Okay, and it, it get outside of the U.S. and now things change even more. And now start flipping currencies. It started, you, you start getting crazy. Yeah. So when it comes to money, it's extremely important to to change the narrative of of, of what money is and realize that it's it's an exchange of value that can be viewed from an energetic perspective, from uh, a numbers perspective. And in order to be able to generate the money that you believe that you're truly worth, you need to become 100% aware of what your own self-worth really is. Hmm. And, I ha- and I have this conversation with my mom all the time. She's an artist. She paints. And uh, a lot of people want to buy her paintings. And she immediately struggles and says, oh, my God, I don't want to charge too much. And I was like, the thing is, you can't devalue yourself. You put in a lot of work to get where you are, and if people are willing to pay you $300, $1,000, $5,000 for a painting because that's what they believe you're worth, accept that. And now don't just hold on to it. Do something with it. Maybe produce the next painting. Move something. You don't want money just sitting in your bank. You want to do something proactive with the money. So we need to change the narrative. And – this is where there is value that needs to be presented in terms of uh, something that is measurable, tangible for people to hold on to and be like, oh, yeah, your program is $29.99 uh, or it's uh, $295 to attend a workshop, whatever it may be. You, people need that. That's kind of like the, the upfront metric. But in order for people to set the right price point, you need to identify the the self-worth of the individual behind it or if it's a team or an organization. And that's where if each member of an organization is not practicing self-development, the worth of the company is actually less. Hmm. And, and yeah, and as individuals, I truly believe that our self-worth projects the actual worth on paper of a company and if we don't develop ourselves we will never find that alignment and no matter how much money we make or how what kind of price point we put or uh whatever it may be we're always going to feel incomplete so 
it's up to us to do the individual work to be able to express ourselves through business uh, financially in the most healthy, complete way. And this is something that I've I've had to work really hard on, and I still struggle uh, daily on figuring out what does it look like to bring art, as you were saying, uh, to the market in a way that um, it can be valued on paper. Uh, and at the same time, there can be an exchange that happens. And when the exchange happens, that that elicits some sort of uh, response from myself providing a service or from the person receiving the service. And I think that kind of complete thinking uh, needs to be present in anyone that is walking this planet at the moment. I love that explanation uh, because that's something I, I think what you just said there where it was like, you know, a dollar is not a dollar, right? And and you were making all this money, but you weren't feeling uh, maybe it's fulfilled or complete from the ways that you were making it. But then to make that alignment happen of like, okay, this is my art. This is what I love to do. And then this is how I'm aligning the business principles to be able to make that kind of come together. Uh, you know, it's it's tricky, but you just articulated it really well. Um, is there anything that you would recommend that people dig into to uh, learn more about that? Any of your favorites? Yeah, I mean, there's so many people who have talked about money in, in different ways. Um, but Ray Dalio, for example, he has a really good explanation. Uh, there's, there's a 30-minute video, I believe, or maybe it's 10 minutes or three minutes. <laughs> I think it's 30 minutes, but it's a 30-minute video on, on what economy really is. And he explains it in a way where, where you, when you see it, it's almost like um, studying ecology or biology or any kind of subject where you understand that it's about relationships and exchange and when you kind of get the big picture, then you know where you can fit yourself in. Uh, and he also has a book uh, out called Principles. It's uh, actually a great book. And I, I somehow got access to the original manuscript before it was even a book. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like what the employees at Bridgewater were getting. Uh, so I've read this little little book a couple of times. And uh, it's it's extremely interesting. And when you learn it from his perspective, you realize that uh, it has everything to do with a relationship with yourself and with the people around you. So that's 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 powerful. And then, I mean, Tony Robbins put out that book, Money. It's actually really good. I I was a skeptic. But when I read it, I was like, you know what? This is really helpful. The only thing is that the way it's presented, it's very much uh, from an American, uh, a U.S. citizen standpoint. Mm. So it, it may be a little limited to to the U.S. there. Um, and, and yeah, those those would be two that I would recommend just kind of right off the bat. I love that. And I, I think one note to kind of add to that because you just made me think of it was I heard um, Tim Ferriss talking about this this idea and he's he's written about it so extensively too but it's like instead of limiting your um you know like investing for example instead of limiting that to just money it's like 
we're all investing all the time. It's just in different forms. Like sometimes it's in money, sometimes it's in time, sometimes it's in energy. And all three of those things are something that you can look at when you're thinking about this. It's like, because I found myself as with some of the um, literature that's out there. It's like, especially with maybe Tony Robbins, like previous books, it was like, oh, this is so like advanced. It's so like beyond where I am. Like it doesn't, doesn't, resonate or make sense but something as simple as kind of hearing tim talk about that where it's like oh these three things are something we're exchanging in all day every day in some way shape or form um so i don't know that's something to maybe look into on top of that yeah i think that's huge what what you said is is basically like voting so uh, in politics if if you're not up to speed uh with local and um national politics, it is really hard to uh, make the right decision when it comes to voting. Uh, when thinking about money, anytime you're spending money on a coffee or you're going to you know, your corner store to buy toilet paper, and then depending on what toilet paper you buy in terms of the brand, you're voting by buying this, uh, this uh, piece of toilet paper or uh, going to your local corner store, whatever it is. So it's becoming familiar with just the, the, the fact that you're voting when you're buying something. Mm. And, and same thing's happening with if you offer a service, people are voting for you if they, they buy something from you, whether it's a service or a product or whatever. So that, that's an exchange. And becoming conscious of what you are interacting with and what you're voting for, I think, is extremely important to understand um, economy to some degree and realize that this starts at home. And in order for one to find clarity, one must talk about money more often, but mm. not su not succumb to money, if that makes sense. And I think um, for me, I, I really tried to talk to my parents about money, but there was always this little thing that was a little bit taboo. Yeah. It's almost like, you know what? Don't mess with money. Uh, you know, we, we made money, but don't mess with it. It's, it, can, it can get tricky and dirty. It makes people do things. Uh, it can go away all of a sudden. Uh, <laughs> it's a tricky thing. So people avoid talking about it. And I think we need to talk about it more. And uh, one thing that I have started saying out loud, maybe just to get a reaction is, hey, I want to be a multimillionaire maybe a billionaire, just saying that out loud. And when I've said that out loud, what you get is different reactions. Some people are like, whoa, either you're really confident or you know something I don't know. They start thinking. Mm -hmm. But the truth is we, we, we all want to have money. If money is the language that you speak, we want to have money. The question is not becoming a millionaire or a billionaire or whatever, but it's what you're going to do with that. What are you going to do with the money? And I yeah. think that's what we need to start thinking about. Okay, I want to attract money, but what am I going to do with the money? What kind of impact can I make with the money? Am I smart about how I'm using the time that I have on this planet to utilize this value that I'm getting in the form of money right now, numbers, right. Uh, to make the impact that I know I can make? And 
when you start thinking that way, you realize that you need to elevate yourself to a higher level of understanding and uh, energetically be there in terms of excited, vulnerable, uh, present, uh, the whole thing, to be able to execute on that. And the more we talk about it, the more we realize this. And that's exciting, if you ask me. Well, part of it also seems like there's a, a shift when you talk about that. Like you said, it's like it's not even the idea that, okay, yeah, I'm going to get to this point of multimillionaire or billionaire, but it's like just the the feelings that may arise when you say that for yourself or for others and just that like the possibility that you're even saying that, um, it probably, I don't know, it probably leads you down some other questions and other rabbit holes that can, uh, like you said earlier, like shift uh, I don't know, shift the way that you have clarity about this topic of money. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing that I also realize is that you will, you will only be able to gain so much wealth, quote unquote, as you're able to contain and manage. Mm. Because if, if, if you can't manage, if you can't contain certain wealth, uh, you're going to make some mistakes that are going to lead you to lose it really quickly or uh, waste it in some some uh, capacity. And I think that's where we need to become students of this game so we can speak this language and not be scared of saying, hey, I want to make a million. And then ask yourself back to the first question, for what? Mm. I want to make a million for what? Oh, yeah, this is what I really... Okay, people need water. People need education. People need food. Uh, we're seeing that uh, at a political level, there's uh, not enough clarity. That there's not enough disclosure of what's happening. We need to uh, take care of that. Uh, we have confrontation. People, oh, people don't need know how to speak to each other. They don't have the ability to communicate. We invest now in those things, or we build things, uh, companies, organizations, teams that can solve those problems or facilitate solving those problems. Now we're doing something special. And that doesn't mean that you can't buy yourself a nice house or a nice car as long as you know for what I'm buying this house so I can have my family, I can invite people over, this allows me to think, whatever it is, you, you can create with that. And I think that is an important conversation to have. Yes, absolutely. Well, on that note, let's say that you had a couple billion dollars, right? And you had mm -hmm. a staff of 40 people. These 40 people are top performers, top thinkers, and whatever it is that you've recruited them for, right? Anybody from Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, whoever comes to mind for you. And you wanted to use those resources to make some type of change or some type of impact, right? So time, energy, money, none of those things are an obstacle and you want to do something with that, what comes to mind for you? The first thing that's coming to mind, and, and I've been going through this process of, of kind of figuring out, okay, what is it that I'm really doing? And what I'm trying to do right now is, is be an explorer of truth. It's what is true here? What is, what is really true? And I know I won't know the truth, but I want to try to get the best um, perspective uh, of what we imagine to be the truth. And in order to do that, what I want to do is I want to elicit this response in people uh, that makes them want to be students and cater towards their strengths. 
So the first thing I would invest in is in trying to solve some aspect of uh, the learning process. Mm. And I, so that's that's number one. And I realized that it is so scary and so uncomfortable to learn new things that people will do almost anything to avoid it. Yeah. Right. You, you don't want to go to bed at night knowing that you're wrong. That's tough. Mm-hmm. So it's creating a safe place, a safe space, even if it's mental, to be able to be vulnerable enough to start to be curious and start to learn. And I think education would be number one. Now, I know that we have many other problems such as water, that is a problem, uh, food, that is a problem, conflicts, that is a problem, the way that media is distributed, that is a problem, uh, and be able to uh, maybe find within these groups of uh, thinkers the doers that are willing to build the next thing. I love that, and I resonate so much with the education aspect of things. It's like if you could shift the way that somebody learned from such an early age where it was like them finding their their zone of genius, like whatever excites them, and then uh, you know the sparking curiosity thing, and then going down whatever rabbit holes that that connects to and the branches that kind of come off of that. It's like, wow, what a, what a different – you know, place it would be collectively, but also, you know, that, that individual, you know, 10 years of that exploring these different things, like what, what would be the byproduct? That's really interesting to think about. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think what that, that, um, comes with is a mindset that must go beyond our lifetime. Mm -hmm. It's like, um, I wrote this the other day as I was kind of thinking, I wrote, I'm already dead basically saying it's like you're dying that's that's what's happening right now mm-hmm. and that is a that is a very scary thought okay are you over that now because you still have some time whatever time you have what are you going to do with it and i think being able to think that way um is important um to be able to tackle these bigger bigger problems love that. Well, I know we're running out of time. So I just want to ask you, what is something that you don't get asked enough about something you wish people would ask you more? You know, I know that you have had such extensive background in, in movement and gymnastics, and people probably have tons of questions for you on that end. But what is something that you're like, oh, I wish this person would ask me more around this area. And I wish I could talk mm. more about this. You know, it's interesting. I, I complain a lot <laughs> about people uh, pigeonholing me into just the physical movement of things. But the truth is that the people that dare or are willing to interact with me, uh, especially as of late, have been really wanting to go into simply conversation. Mm. Uh, so I feel like I'm living the dream. People are asking me the things that I'm ready to talk about and I'm ready to be asked about. So uh, I guess I don't have one at the moment. And I, I kind of wish I did, but I, I don't. Well, hey, that that is a great place to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Um, where, where can we point people to? How can we support your journey, learn more about you, and just follow along with what you're up to? 
Well, I'm super excited, actually, because a month ago, I just relaunched my uh, site, freestyleconnection.com, and uh, we're building this thing out, and right now we have what is called a blog, but I have a feeling it's going to turn into something completely different eventually, uh, so you can find me there. You can also find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Carl Powley, or at Freestyle Connection, and uh, yeah, get to experience the different things that I'm doing and uh, you'll be able to follow along as I try to paint a more complete picture talking about movement and nutrition and lifestyle and business, technology and culture. Uh, and I'm doing that in order to uh, inform people, connect people, support people, encourage people uh, to, to think more and do more. I love that. Well, we'll get all of that linked up in the show notes. But thank you so much, Carl, for coming on and getting us your time. I had a blast chatting with you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you lending me your ears. Before you head out, I wanted to share a free gift with you. It's only available for podcast listeners at MizHQ.com. Again, that's M-I-Z-H-Q.com. So go ahead and grab that. If you want to support the show, the best compliment that you can give is by leaving a review with your thoughts. You have no idea how much that helps, and I always love hearing from you guys. So once again, thank you again for tuning in. Until next time.